study with Xavier University's Institute for Spirituality and Social Justice. Graduate theology degrees and certificates available with online options. Tuition discounts for teachers, volunteers, and those in social or pastoral ministry. For more information, go to xavier.edu issj. Welcome to the Gloria Purvis Podcast, where we talk about the issues in the Catholic Church and in society that matter to you and to me, and I'm glad you're here to have that conversation with me. My guest today is Pamela Farrell. Pamela Farrell is an American entrepreneur, pioneer, and advocate in the natural hair care field. She opened her salon, Corn Rose and Company, in 1980 to provide high-quality African hairstyling to customers in Washington, D.C. And over the course of 40 years, she has been an active voice for natural hair care causes and a key contributor in efforts to get states to change outdated laws that impose unfair policies and fines on hair braiding salons. She developed the Circle Hair System, which defined the different textures of hair, and in 2014 was invited by the U.S. Army and Navy to present her research and assist in reviewing hairstyle policies and regulations. I want to talk to Pam because she really is the reason why we can wear natural hairstyles in the United States without the same level of pushback that was experienced in the past, like let's say in the 70s and before. And Pam has quietly stayed with this crusade, if you will, to make everyone understand our hair as it grows out of its head <laughs> is A-OK. It's beautiful. It's not all the negative things that people assign to it. And just to give you an idea of the kind of cultural influence she is, there was a movie called Daughters of the Dust. It was the first film directed by a Black woman, Julie Dash, to receive nationwide theatrical release in the United States. And Pam was the person on set who created all those beautiful natural hairstyles that you see in the movie. And that was a big draw for the movie, this movie, Daughters of the Dust. She was fired from her job for wearing braids, but that didn't make her stop. It actually was a motivation to keep going. One of the things that led her to start her salon, Cornrows and Company, and the kind of luminaries who come through her shop are amazing. Diana Ross was one of her clients, is one of her clients. The first female African-American senator, Carol Mosley Braun, was her client. She would go down to Congress and go into Senator Braun's office and cornrow her hair, do her hair. And if you don't understand, cornrow is an ancient, ancient hair braiding practice, thousands of years old. And it's really an art form and the kind of skill it takes to do it. And Pam is incredibly skilled in creating these gorgeous, graceful, elegant hairstyles. And she fought to stay in business. The state of D.C. challenged her ability to earn money. She also was an original party to Cornwell v. California, which sued the state of California for requiring hair braiding salons to be licensed. And because that lawsuit prevailed, we were able to watch on national television during the hearings of Justice Katanji Brown-Jackson, Sister Locks, which is a natural hairstyle that Justice Katanji Brown-Jackson was wearing that was created by the co-plaintiff in the lawsuit with Pamela, Dr. Cornwell. 
So because Pam and Dr. Cornwell sued California and prevailed, you were able to see Justice Ketanji Brown Jackson wearing a hairstyle that's the fruit of the win of that lawsuit back from the 90s. So her impact is really just far-reaching, more than we could imagine. And she also impacted me. I am a client of hers. I remember when I first decided that I was no longer going to straighten my hair, I was fortunate to be here in Washington, D.C. and to find out about Cornrows and Company and go to Pam. And she helped me with that transition. And I remember getting these beautiful micro cornrows that I was able to wear to work. And I just, I just felt like a million bucks. And they were very intricate styles. It was two days, two full eight-hour days of having my hair braided by Pam and multiple other women all at once. So you're talking about a total of 16 hours to get this incredibly elegant, beautiful cornrow uh, hairstyle. And I just have to thank Pam for so much, so much that she's helped me with. And I still have a relationship with her today. And she's someone that's also featured in the Smithsonian's Museum of African-American Heritage and Culture. That's how much of an icon she is in the natural hair care field and upon beauty for Black women in the United States. And I'm just thrilled to have you be able to meet her and understand why she does what she does and how important it is for those of us who want to embrace the hair that God gave us just as it grows out of its head, out of our head. (laughs) The Gloria Purvis Podcast is a production of America Media, where real, honest conversations are happening on the most important issues at the intersection of the church and the world. And that's unique. You may not agree with everything we published or even everything we talk about on this podcast. And that's okay. That's healthy. We need to listen to each other and be open to different ideas and perspectives. So if this podcast is meaningful to you, please support it by getting a digital subscription to America. Go to americamagazine.org slash subscribe and sign up today. The link is in the show notes. Stick around. My conversation with Pamela Farrell is up next. I am so excited to welcome a pioneer in natural hair care, Pamela Farrell. She's the owner of Cornrows and Company. And let me just say this, she helped me with my journey in natural hair. And I'm just so thrilled to have you on the Gloria Purvis podcast. Welcome, Pam. Thank you. Thank you. I'm <laughs> excited to be here with you. You know, people probably have no idea about the kind of opposition to Black people being able to wear their hair natural just as it grows out of their head. Some people may think, oh, this is just some new thing that people are talking about. But I'm wondering if you could help my listeners get an idea of how long this kind of resistance to our natural hair has been going on in the United States. Well, it's been going on for centuries. Yeah. When Africans were enslaved and brought here to America, they didn't have access to the combs and, you know, the tools and things that they used to do their hair. And they didn't have time. Mm. You know, when you're working someone from sunup to sundown, right. heads were covered because, you know, there was no time to sit around and do the styles that they did in Africa. 
parades and, you know, I mean, works of art True. where people sat around lovingly for hours. And so this is the beginning of our hair in America. Mm. And, you know, with hair that was not combed, that was not groomed, that was not well kept, you know, we were forced to cover it. Yeah. Even in some places like New Orleans. Yes. They had a ordinance where African-American women had to cover their hair when they went out in public. And for those who are unfamiliar, that that was the Tignon Law that was established in 1786. It prohibited women of color from displaying, quote, excessive attention to dress in the streets of New Orleans. It's mm-hmm. just unbelievable. But yes, by law, these women had to cover their hair with a tignon, as they called it, or headscarf or whatnot. And so this is the history of hair for Africans in America has been one of control. Mm-hmm. Because if, if you think about it, you know, slavery is about ownership of your body. Yeah. And so while we are no longer enslaved, those are the, the remnants of it. Mm-hmm. There is this idea that America has ownership of our body, mm. what we look like, our skin complexion, how we walk, how we talk, all of these things. And so, and hair has been one of them. Our ancestors, they wore their hair in styles. You know, they, they straightened their hair and they did things as a, a means of survival right. in order to get jobs. I get it. I understand that. But fast forward. Now, I grew up during the 60s. When mm-hmm. the Afro came out. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I was so excited to be able to wear an Afro. I begged my mom when I was in, <laughs> when I was going into middle school, can I wear an Afro? And she didn't cut it. So I had a whole bunch of hair, you know, so it was just kind of <laughs> wopsided, you know, Afro, but I didn't care. I wanted the Afro. And, you know, there was discrimination then. Mm when people started wearing their Afro. I mean, think about it. They, you know, the Afro to folk signifies Black power. Yeah. But for us, it's just the way our hair grows. Right. That's our hair. Right. Just as it grows out of our hair. You know, you want to talk about wash and wear, that's wash and wear. (laughs) You know, everyone else gets to enjoy their wash and wear hair. But when we do it, it's a problem with being militant, what, you know, whatever people's perceptions are. Yeah. But, you know, we're no different than anyone else. We just want to wear our hair the way it grows. And, you know, some people may not realize when when you say, you know, yeah, there's been blowback for us when we wear our hair naturally. And I know you personally, in 1978, when you went to your job, you were given a directive about your hair. I mean, what happened? So I moved to Washington, D.C. in 1977, Mm -hmm. 18 years old, came here to go to college. I was a fashion designer. I was designing clothes at 12, 13 years old. In fact, Three of my designs are in the African-American Museum of History and Culture in the Cornrows and Company collection. They don't have it on display yet. Okay. Um, Another reason to go back. I hope I live to see it on display. (laughs) You will. So anyway, I came to D.C., (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, as a fashion designer. And while I was in college, I was working in a fabric store, G Street Remnant Shop. Now, for someone who is in fashion, I mean, that is the place, okay? (laughs) Uh The fabrics, the buttons, I mean, just the place. Uh So what happened was there was a button shop on 11th Street. I mean, they actually had button shops back then, right? Hard to believe, yes. (laughs) And when my uncle drove me there, 
on the opposite side of the street was the Maya Gallery. Mm-hmm. The Maya Gallery was the first braiding art gallery. Oh. It wasn't a salon where they shampooed your hair or anything like that. And they sold these beautiful, I mean, beads and stones, turquoise and sterling silver. These were beads for your hair. Mm-hmm. And when my uncle drove the car up and parked, I looked up and it was a picture window with a young lady seated and a, a braider. Her name was Margot. Mm-hmm. braiding her hair. It was mm-hmm. like a work of art. I had never seen anything like that before. Oh, wow. And so, of course, you know, when I saw that, I mean, I was just mesmerized. And I went in, you know, because, you know, I want my hair like that. <laughs> right, right. And she was booked for months. Oh. And so I knew how to braid because I used to braid and cornrow, you know, the guys here in the neighborhood when I was younger. Right. So I said, I, I think she put me on the book for like two months out. And I said, you know what? I'll buy some beads. And Mm. in the interim, I'll do my hair Uh until I can get in with her. Right. So, and it it was beautiful. It was individual braids with turquoise and sterling beads. And I went into work and the manager, who was a black woman, said to me, the boss says that you can't wear your hair like that here. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you know, I was, I was, I was angry. I bet. But then I said, no, I'm not going to get angry at her. Mm-hmm. She's the messenger. So I said to her, tell him to tell me. Mm. Oh, gosh. All right. And so the next day he did. Oh. He told me, he said, if you want to work here, you're going to have to remove that braided hairstyle. Why? And he told me it's not appropriate for his clientele. Now, while I was working, his clientele was just oohing and ahhing over my hair, complimenting it. So I knew that wasn't true. Right, right. So I remember, you know, I'm 18 years old. I went into the employee lounge and I just, I just couldn't believe it. Right. And when I left work that day, I said, you know, it was no way I was going to go home and take that hairstyle out. It took me eight hours to do one. Second, I was not going to go in and show up on a job where someone had just really disrespect me. Yeah. That's that's how I felt, you know. Yeah. So I I cried and I said I was never going to work for anyone else again. Mm. And I was going to braid so many heads that this would never happen to anyone else. Oh, wow. And so that is really how Cornrows and Company got started. Now let me fast forward and then I'll go back to uh, Cornrows and Company got started. Mm-hmm. I would say it had to be maybe 25 years later. Mm. I had when I, my children were small and they moved G Street Remnant Shop out to Rockville. Yep, I know that place. Uh-huh. And so, and there was a Toys R Us in the same little shopping center. Mm-hmm. And one day I said, I, you know, I had my children, my son, I think, just my son. And I said, let me go. I'm just going to go in there. Uh-huh. So I go in, and when I walk in the front door, they usually had like artist sketchings of, you know, fashion. Yeah. And one of them had braids, right? Oh, my goodness. You're like, are you kidding me? <laughs> and so when I get upstairs, his name was Mr. Greensay. Mm-hmm. He was there. Oh. And he recognized me. And he said to me, he said, I'm sorry. Oh. He said, I want to tell you, I am proud of you. Oh, what? And I said, okay, cool. You know, <laughs> but listen, every interview I had... <laughs> 
I talked about. G Street Revenant shot that fire at me. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure you did. I would have. That was like such a, a yeah. pivotal moment. To so be I guess that. that's how he yeah. was able to keep up with, <laughs> with what, what I was good. doing. Because that name know. was always. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know, I wasn't. I wasn't mad at him. I wasn't mad at him because look what happened as a result of it. Yeah. I. You know. Thank you. Thank yeah, really. you for firing me. Well, you know what, though? I have to say, and thank you for handling it the way that you did. You know, that you said, you know what? I'm going to braid so many heads. This doesn't happen to anybody else. And I'm going to do this under my own business. Let me also say this, or ask this maybe. To be able to start your own business doing this was not without its challenges. Let me tell you how this happened. I had an apartment and I took one of the bedrooms and I turned that into my salon. Oh, wow. But wasn't that quote unquote illegal under well, there. we haven't even got there yet. Okay. All right. Okay. So I'm I'm working out of my apartment and I'm in school. I'm a student. And it got to a point where I was getting more clients than I could handle. Okay. So I had a cousin move down to DC from Rhode Island mm-hmm. and I taught her my system of braiding. Okay. So she and I was working in the apartment. And then again, I had more clients than I could do. And so I moved from the apartment into like a studio place. It was two floors. Okay. And one floor I created, you know, the salon. And I brought in other young ladies that I trained, uh-huh. you know, so that they could help out. And then after that, we moved to an actual storefront. Okay. Which was, we opened in 1980. So that was two years later. I met my, he was my friend, boyfriend, now husband. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're thriving. we doing really well. And we get a phone call from DCRA, Department of Consumer and Regulatory Affairs. A phone call. They call and they say, you have to shut down. Why? Because you're operating a salon without a license. Well, so let me step back because there are going to be some people saying, oh, what's wrong with getting a cosmetology license? Can you tell them what is not taught and what is taught in the cosmetology school and why it wouldn't apply? Absolutely. So cosmetology was twelve to fifteen hundred hours. Hours to get oh, a cosmetology wow. license. Oh, in man. fact, an EMT, yeah, one hundred and fifty hours. But a cosmetologist had fifteen hundred times hours. that. Okay. Oh wow. And a okay. paramedic, uh huh, twelve hundred hours. Okay. I mean, it's first of all, it's the cosmetology industry is overregulated. Okay. But for us. In fact, I did go to cosmetology school, mm-hmm. but I did it as an agreement with Mayor Barry. And the agreement was if I went to cosmetology school, none of my employees would have to. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I went to cosmetology school. Okay. And of course, once I got into cosmetology school, uh-huh. when I came out, it was, you know, we don't do that. Right. Basically, because they're all chemicals. They're all, all they're not chemicals. natural hair care. In fact, when I was in cosmetology school, people were smoking indoors. Oh, wow. That's how long ago it was. <laughs> okay. So after that, we, you know, we fought government regulations trying to force us and hair braiders around the country to go to cosmetology school. First of all, braiding is ancient. Braiding yes. has been around for thousands of years. Yes. Cosmetology is not even 100 years old. Okay. Right. It was mm-hmm. it was created in 1938. Wow. So, I mean, you know, that's pretty arrogant of you yeah. to think that my thousand-year-old, thousands-of-year-old craft 
of mm-hmm. hair care that mm-hmm. I have to come to you to learn how to do hair. And really <laughs> what it was all about, it was about competition. Mm. I served on the Barber and Cosmetology Board at the pleasure of three mayors. Okay. And the people on the Barber and Cosmetology Board are hairstylists and salon owners. Uh, and basically what they're trying to do is squash their competition. I it's see. not about public health and safety. Ah, it's about control and making sure who enters the market or not. But there were other things. So let me ask, because when you think, you know, I was thinking about the smoking environment, but there are other things besides the smoke. You know, at the time there was unhealthy. Oh, yeah, there was chemicals. It was relaxers. There were perms. There were, at the time they were doing nails, the the acrylic nails. So let me just say, some people aren't going to know what you mean by the chemicals. You mean people were like lye, putting lye in their hair to straighten their hair. Yeah. In school, you are smelling sodium hydroxide. Mm. You're smelling the perm Mm -hmm. and the acrylic nails that they were doing, which Mm -hmm. were far more toxic than probably today. I don't know. Right. You had color. You had all of these chemicals in one room and cigarette smoke. And I'm in there for eight hours. Wow. Five days a week. Wow. Not good. No. And not what you wanted in your salon. You were- no. It was a natural hair care salon in it. And I think people don't probably understand when you say natural, you legitimately mean natural. You're not doing anything to permanently alter no. the hair, you know, no. nothing against how it grows out of its head. Right. Because when you have a permanent or a relaxer, it is permanent to the hair that's been touched by those chemicals. Right. Like once you, you put that, you process it. Yeah. Once mm-hmm. that happens. And it also can make your hair fall out too. And and here's the other thing that I want to get at. I mean, the cosmetology school didn't teach anything that you would need to run a natural no. hair care salon. So like, no. they didn't teach braiding or they didn't teach anything about the textures. They don't, they don't know anything of what I do. Wow. Okay. Nothing. In fact, there were young ladies, braiders, that had gone to cosmetology school yeah. and the schools would have them teach braiding. Now, they ain't paying them. And want them to teach their skill. Wow. Yeah. And I had to tell them, don't go in there teaching anything. Right. I said, you're paying to go to that school. Why would you go in there and and teach the students what you do. Right, right. And it's not even a part of the cosmetology exam, is it? It's not. And so I served on the Bobbin Cosmetology Board, as I said. Mm-hmm. And during that time, we proctored the state board exams. Okay. And so there's nothing on there in the practical or written exam that talks about braids, twists, locks, natural hair. And in fact, in order to pass a state board exam, you have to straighten circle hair or African-American people's hair. You have to straighten it in order to do the state board hairstyle. So that's the only way you are taught to treat African-American hair to, to mm-hmm. deal with is to straighten it you have to chemically. Straighten. And they call, you know what they call it in the textbooks? No, what? what over curly. That's what they call African-American hair, over curly? In the textbooks. Over curly. That's now we know the word over means too much. Too much, you yeah. know. You're, yeah. you're, you're, it's overdone. You, yeah. you know, you're, it's <laughs> I mean, over. Yeah, no, it's not necessarily like this. It's something that needs to be repaired. Yeah, it's a Eurocentric curriculum. The only way that you can do the roller sets and finger waves and all of those state board exam hairstyles, you have to straighten hair. And when I took my state board exam. Mm-hmm. I took a model because you, you have to do a state board haircut. Okay. And I took a model with natural hair mm-hmm. and I cut her hair and they mm-hmm. failed me. <gasps> Why? Because the examiner didn't know how to check 
a cut on natural hair. I appealed it. Good for you. And they did something that they have never done in the history of state board exams. What did they do? They wanted me to recut the hair. And I recut it only to, you know, on straight hair. And I did it just to show them because, you know, I know the haircut. Right, right. They provided me with the model. They have never done that in the history of state board exams. But the point was that the examiner didn't even know how to check a haircut on natural hair. Which says that you have all these people out there providing services which are designed really to exclude those of us who opt not to straighten our hair. For those of us who opt to just keep our hair as it grows out of its head. But what does that say? Well, you know, personally, I don't have a problem with it. You know, uh, I was reading something recently of Vita is trying to get cosmetology schools to incorporate natural hair. They're not doing that because they care. Money. They're doing that because of money. Oh, yeah. And honestly, I don't think it's necessary. Right. There are certain businesses Mm -hmm. that have traditionally been segregated. Yeah. But it's, I don't think it's a bad thing. Right. Funeral homes, hair salons, you know. These are thriving businesses in our communities. Mm -hmm. So now you're going to teach someone to do our hair? Take take that business out of our community, that opportunity out. And let me just say that this natural hair care is a multi-million, if not billion-dollar industry. Of course. Everybody wants a piece of the pie. We'll be back in a minute. One of the things that I heard you mention earlier is you were referring to the different hairstyles. You said locks, you said braids, you said twists. Twist. So is reclaiming the language around natural hair a part of changing the attitudes toward our hair? What language has been used to describe our hair and what language should we be using instead? So are you talking about to describe our hair or hairstyles? Those are two different things. Well, maybe both. Okay. So let's talk about hair. Mm -hmm. This was some years ago. You know, I I had got to a point where I felt I had reached my goal. Mm -hmm. So I was having a conversation with God. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I think I did what I was supposed to do. Right. You know, there's so many people out there now that can do this. So Mm -hmm. I don't need to do this anymore. And I really don't want to do it anymore. (laughs) So, you know, I don't, I'm done. Right. right? Uh (laughs) And well, of course, you know, God was like, oh, you think you're done. (laughs) (laughs) I was combing out a client's hair after shampooing it. And there were perfect circles on the floor. Mm. Now, I had been staring at hair for, for decades, right? but I never saw this. Mm-hmm. And I just remember looking down saying, my God, I mean, it was just beautiful. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was like art to me, you know, to uh-huh. see these perfect circles. Uh-huh. And so, you know, I went and got a piece of tape and I, you know, picked up some of the pieces on the tape. Uh-huh. And when I saw that, I said, you know, why don't we call our hair what it is? It's circle hair. Mm. Our hair has a shape. Right. It's a circle. Uh-huh. And there are different size circles. Mm-hmm. And that's what determines the characteristics of your hair. Mm-hmm. I came up with a way to measure the circles. Okay. I use a measuring system that is already in existence. It's called the point unit measuring system, which they use for fonts. 
Okay, right. So okay. we all know what the 12-point font is right. versus a 125-point font. We do, okay? yeah. Right. 125 would essentially be a poster, right? right? Yes, yeah. So think about that with hair. Okay. My daughter's hair is 150 point. Mm-hmm. My hair is between 28 and 48. Okay. And the smallest circle size that I've collected is an eight point. Where did you get that? The eight point hair? That was from a young boy from South Africa. And he was from the SAN people, S-A-N. Mm-hmm. And with some research, I found that geneticists have discovered that they have, the SAN people have the oldest DNA oh. still found in modern humans. Oh, wow. So what that says to me is that that is the first hair right, right now. That's right. the first hair. So if that's the first hair, why would you have a hair typing system that makes straight hair number one? Right. Like that one. And a, that one makes B. Afro mm-hmm. hair number four. Right. Yeah. It's just not fat. It's right. not science. And psychologically, right. when you say some number one, if you win a medal, number, number one, one, the right? best, the top. Yeah. yeah, the top, man. <laughs> yeah. Somebody has created this false hair typing system that says you're at the bottom. Right. When you are at the top. Right. Mm-hmm. So now, you know, we have this wide range of circles. So you either have circle hair or you have what? I called it straight hair. But okay. when I, I did a presentation to a class of kindergartners, uh-huh. one of the kindergartners said to me that straight wasn't a shape. <laughs> oh, so, okay. so it's line hair. Yeah. Okay, circle like, and you line. You are absolutely right. That's, <laughs> that's why we got to go and hang out with, with the kids. little people. Right. right. Okay. Circle so, hair and line hair. Okay. Circle hair and line hair. Okay. There are more people in the world with circle hair. Right. Right. And okay. in fact, it was so interesting because when I first started doing this, my son and I, we would be out. We'd, we'd just be either at the grocery store or wherever we're at. And we would just be looking at people going, oh, he has, he has circle hair. <laughs> oh, they have circle hair. And, you know, right. black and white people. Right. Yeah. Because it's it's hair. Right. It's hair. We Just like we've been socialized to discriminate against people because of their skin color, beauty, height, weight, Mm -hmm, all mm -hmm. these things, right? Yeah. That's what has been done with hair. We have been divided over hair, not realizing that we all have commonalities with this hair. Right, right. You're just inviting people to think about it differently, use different language. But Mm -hmm. then you said there's a difference between hairstyle and hair pattern type shape. Right, because you were talking about the language. Yes, yeah. And words are very important. Indeed. So as an expert witness, it's not what you know, it's what you can prove. Okay. In a court of law. Okay. And one of the strategies that we used was language. How so? So with the hair braiding cases, Mm -hmm. we could have easily said, you know, we're fighting for natural hair care or natural hair. Right. But anyone can have natural hair. Someone with line hair who doesn't chemically process their hair, that's natural hair. Right. And what they do to their hair, you know, if they're not using chemicals and stuff, that's natural hair care. Right. So I didn't use those terms. I used African style hair braiding. 
And so that language is really important. And that's one of my concerns with the Crown Act. For people who don't know, the Crown Act is now been made law in certain states and is trying to make its way through Congress to become a federal law. And the Crown stands for creating an open and respectful world for natural hair, which sounds like a great thing. So why, what's the concern with it, with the language there? Well, they are calling our hair protective hairstyles. Now, first of all, protective, if you ask 10 people, what is a protective hairstyle? You're going to get 10 different answers. Yeah. If you talk to my clients, they're going to say, I don't know. I was about to say, because I was like, I don't know. Okay. Right. That's a problem. Mm. It's an internet fad word or term. And I know, I know where it came from. Where it came from was women who were wearing straight wigs and weaves over their natural hair. Right. And they use the excuse that I'm protecting my hair. Uh. So, I mean, you know, that's the history I know of it. So when you use words. Protective style. And you don't Mm. quite understand where they come from. Now, what I suggested to them. Mm-hmm. is to take the word protective out of there and put protected, E-D, oh, okay. because that's the language that's used in the Civil Rights Act. I see. And in fact, when I deal with hair discrimination, I'm dealing with it from three different perspectives. One, I've experienced it. Yeah. Two, I'm an employer. Right. And I've been an employer for 42 years. And I can tell you, sometimes employees come to work and their hair is a mess. <laughs> Okay, so, you know, you won't necessarily write up a policy and ban that. Mm -hmm. But now we're talking about grooming. It's not so much the hairstyle. It's a grooming issue. So the Crown Act was brought about to ensure, they say, protection against discrimination based on race-based hairstyles by extending statutory protection to hair texture and protective styles, such as braids, locks, twists, and knots in the workplace and in public schools. I guess that there's a question of how was this an extension of civil rights, even if, you know, as we talked about it, Pam, it's done so imperfectly based on using the word protective instead of protected and other, you know, details that you as an expert know that the general public doesn't. But how is this, maybe firstly talk about how is this an extension of civil rights? Well, first of all, I believe the Civil Rights Act includes our hair course, right, right. <laughs> when right. we show up, you see what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, it comes yeah. with us. Yeah, I mean, the hair is a part of our bodies. Yeah, it, it we comes a part of us. our person, yeah. Yeah, you know, and there's hairstyles that are compatible with our hair. Right. And that happens to be braids and twists and locks and afros. Right. And so we already have protections. And even with this Crown Act, it doesn't change the process. What do you mean? In other words, if you're discriminated against, you're either going to go to HR and file a complaint. You'll file a complaint with EEOC, Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, mm-hmm. or you're going to hire an attorney. Okay. The average person doesn't know that. Right. Like I said, when I was 18 and I was fired, I didn't know what to do. In fact, I called a legal service. It was a free legal service. I called them and I told them what happened. And that was it. And I just waited for them to call me back. Oh, wow. And they never call me back. Here it is, 42 years later. They never call me back. Wow. You know, because I didn't understand that it was my responsibility. Right. 
Now, I will say that one of the strategies, and I've been successful with it, mm-hmm. is showing what a professional looking hairstyle it's natural. should look like. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Whether it's braids, twists, locks. Because if you encounter someone whose hair is maybe not necessarily well groomed, right. or maybe their cousin's cousin did their hair, <laughs> you know. Which, let me tell you, for those who, the Cornrows and Company, when you go there, you come out looking just so gorgeous. You did the most elegant, just to die for hairstyles that are braids, that are twists, that are locks, that are just your natural hair. However, Pam is just just talented in the in the young ladies that she employs are, are very talented. I will admit, I have been a long-term client from way back, have had the braided styles, and people were like, your hair is gorgeous. And I was like, cornrows and company. So Pam has well, allowed me to be the ambassador in that national natural hair movement. Yeah, well, thank you. No, thank you. <laughs> but that really matters. I mean, yeah, yeah. for me, you got to remember, I didn't go into hair because I just wanted to be a hairstylist and I wanted to do people's hair really pretty and so forth and so on. No. Hair became a visual argument for me. When I got a call from a young lady who had been coming to me and she was in the army and she was just in a panic because she had been wearing her hair in twists, natural twists, flat twists for years. Uh And then they came out with a new grooming standards Uh that said you could not wear twists or locks. The military, the army. The army. This was in 2014. So I get this phone call. You know, she's in a panic, of course, you know, because folk gonna call me (laughs) because I guess they think I know what to do, right? (laughs) Right. You know, I said, I'm going to do what I know. So I sat down and I wrote a letter. I wrote two letters, one Mm -hmm. to the secretary of army, and I forgot who the other one was. And my son, (laughs) he laughed at me. He said, you're crazy, mom. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? He said, you're sitting here writing a letter. You're going to send a, You think you, you can send that letter to the head folk of the United States Army? <laughs> I said, yep. And I sent it. Okay. And a little more than a week later, I get a call from the Pentagon. Oh. And they got my letters mm-hmm. and they wanted to meet with me. And so they asked, they said, would you like to come here to the Pentagon? Or would you like us to send someone to you? Mm-hmm. And I said, send someone to me. Okay. Have them come here. And so they sent an officer, a wonderful young lady. Mm-hmm. And when she came here, you know, she said to me, we would like to have you come and do a presentation to it was 24 senior officials okay. on hair. Right? Mm-hmm. This is a lesson on hair. So when she was here, I happened to be working in my workshop on my circle hair. Because, you know, Mm -hmm. I have clients that travel around the world. I have them collect here. I bring that back. You know, I'm just kind of working on that. Yeah. And I said, come in the back. I want to show you something. And, of course, you know, when she came back and she looked at what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And that was really my aha moment. This Mm -hmm. lesson on here, I literally had a week to put this presentation together. Oh, wow. Okay. And I remember when I homeschooled my son. And I remember even my nieces and nephews, when they were in school and they had to do like a presentation with the big poster boards. Yeah, yeah. I hated those things. <laughs> because <laughs> when they're done, you got this poster board. What are you going to do with it, right? right. You don't want to throw it away. Right. So 
<laughs> I never did that with my son for homeschool. Mm. But honey, I pulled out some poster boys. <laughs> And that's how I did my presentation. <laughs> I actually attached hair yeah, to, it. to this, mm-hmm. these poster boards. And it was strictly a lesson on hair. I didn't talk about race. Right. I didn't talk about skin color. None of, none of that mattered. Right. Because hair is the problem. Right. Okay. So let's, let's stick to hair. Right. And I'm telling you, strategically, it wins. You cannot argue with science, although people do. But, <laughs> right, really. you know. Yeah. I mean, if I said that you're a racist, mm-hmm. how do I prove that? Unless you said to me, I'm a racist. <laughs> right. And so that's why I don't want you coming in here with that hairdo. You, right. you, you dig what I'm saying? I do. Nobody's yeah. going to say that. Right. True. So I don't deal with race mm-hmm. because, you know, for me, it's a fight that it's just harder to win. And so when we take race away and we deal with just hair, mm-hmm. They got it because everybody has hair. Well, and I think also you are able to show people because, you, you you know, people say terms like it's unprofessional, it's not groomed, it's extreme. But here you are showing these natural hairstyles that are all those things. It's well-groomed. Yeah. Yes. It's beautiful. It's not, quote, extreme yes. or so unusual. You're like, I've never seen. Yes. And also, too, if you have grooming, what I said to them is you already have grooming standards. Right. Your grooming standard says that you cannot have an asymmetric hairstyle. Mm. It says that a bun can't be any more than, I think it's two inches thick, you know, Mm -hmm. where it protrudes out. Mm -hmm. An afro can't be any more than three inches. So you have standards. And so if someone comes in with locks that's down to their shoulder blades, they're out of standard. But if they put it in a bun and that bun meets the inches that it cannot be bigger than, Mm -hmm. then... They're in line. Yeah. So, I mean, you already have standards. Right. The problem now is you are targeting circle hair. You are targeting a particular hair shape. Right. And when you do that, you make someone who has circle hair shape have to chemically change their hair or they have to use extreme heat, you know, 500 degrees to change that hair. Right. And so they got it because, you know, quite honestly, if I did that in my business, anyone that came in my business had to have Afro hair. Right. Even if you had straight hair, people would think I was absolutely crazy, wouldn't they? Yeah. And to give people a scope of this, I just wanted to say, I was reading that they say Black women are one and a half times more likely to be sent home from the workplace because of their hair. Uh, and so I want people to understand this isn't some made-up experience that we're talking about. No. This is something that is pervasive, mm-hmm. even was in the military. Mm-hmm. And I, I've seen cases of this happening actually in Catholic schools where a young girl was sent home because they said her hair didn't fit the school's policy. And the parents had her hair redone in a different natural style. And then the school sent her home. And it was basically boiled down to they did not like her natural hair. Right. And, and that's a that's a problem. That, that is a problem. You know, and school to me is different from the workplace. Right. Because in the workplace you have different professions. If you're working around food, okay. That hair has to be able to be put up in a net. Yeah. If you are in the military, yeah. You know, like I said, they had standards they had to go under a, a helmet, things like that, you know. Right. To be able to fit under there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
you know, you've done so many things in the history of caring with natural hair in the United States. You created in 95 with your husband, the American Hair Braiders and Natural Hair Care Association. So you have a lot of wisdom and experience. And I wish I could talk to you like so much longer, but I know it's getting time to close. So let me just ask this question. What is one thing maybe you would say to Black women or Black men today about hair care? or about anything, actually, what would it be if you had one thing to say to them? Oh, gosh, there's a lot of things I would say. But <laughs> in the conversation of hair freedom, mm. I call it hair freedom, you have a choice. And if you go into a job and someone you know, fires you because of your hair, you have a choice. You have a choice to change it and go back in there. And you know, I don't know how that's going to make you feel. Right. Or you have a choice to not change it and sue so that you can go back in there and work. Right. Or you can start your own business. Start your own business where you can wear your hair any way you want and you can hire people <laughs> to wear their hair in those anyway. kinds of, of, of hairstyles, you know. And, you know, and I didn't really get that years ago when I would talk to people about it. You know, we're just fighting and fighting to be included in a place that doesn't want us there. Right. You know, so I, I'm just saying that to people so that they're not always going to feel like a victim. Right. Hair freedom is about being empowered. And not only did we have to fight to wear our hair in these styles, we had to fight to open businesses to do it. Wow. Wow. This is a lot to think about. And I'm sure a lot of people out there thinking, hmm. Let me make my plan to start my own business. Hey. <laughs> you know, right? <laughs> so I just want to thank you so much, Pam, for joining thank me you. on the podcast and helping our listeners understand how there are challenges for Black people with the hair that grows out of their head just as God gave it to them. And um, it's wider than we think, and we are trying to do something about it. So I want to thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so glad you're tuning into the Gloria Purvis podcast and journeying with me through these important and, well, sometimes challenging conversations. Please share this episode with a friend or family member and be sure to subscribe to the Gloria Purvis podcast on your podcast app. Oh, leave us a review if you can. I would love to hear from you. And by the way, you can follow me on Twitter at Gloria underscore Purvis and on Instagram at I am Gloria Purvis. The Gloria Purvis podcast is a production of America Media. It's produced by Maggie Van Dorn and is engineered by Frank Tucson. You can learn more about America Media at americamagazine.org. We'll see you next time.